Avoid legal snacks by telling people that they're being recorded. Hi, you guys are being recorded. <laughs> I know, Thank right? you, HR. No problem. Know, right? No problem. Hey everybody, welcome back to, is it 3 in the morning right now when we're recording? <laughs> God damn. So, this week we, well, we're, we're not doing Maiden, so I'll just let Anthony explain that. So, good morning, Paul! Good morning. And Anthony! Hello. Good morning. How's those uh, whiskeys going in and out, buddy? I'm still suffering a little from last night, but otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> that was your idea. Got a cup of tea to help to help me get over uh, the hangover. <laughs> How British of you. Yeah, of course. So you want to go ahead and tell everybody what we're doing today? Yep. So if you've been listening to us for a while, um, you know, we've already started thinking about what we're going to do after Maiden. All two of so you. this and the next two episodes, we are going to give you a little preview of that. Uh, as we were talking about Fear of the Dark, we actually found that uh, all three of us liked other albums from that same year a little bit better. So we have decided to take three episodes and talk about other great albums from 1992 and this week we are going to start off and i'm i'm happy that the uh the other guys let me do this with my personal choice which was the crimson idol by wasp so (laughs) (laughs) were you were um, you not ready for my excitement (laughs) i was not that's right (laughs) all right so one thing i've been doing to prepare for each maiden album that we discuss is i put together a playlist of what i think are the best metal tracks from the same year that the album that we're going to talk about was released so as we were preparing for fear of the dark as a result of this i found myself rediscovering the crimson idol which was an album i really loved in my teenage years and i ended up listening to it more than i was listening to fear of the dark but before we talk about the crimson idol here is a crash course in history here is a crash course in the history of wasp prior to 1992 they were formed in los angeles in 1982 following the demise of Blackie Lawless and Randy Piper's previous band, Circus Circus. Wasp quickly became Wait, known circus, as one of the... Circus Like Sucka Sucka? Circus. Sucka Sucka? Circus Circus. Oh, I was like, where the fuck are we going to find a shirt? It says Sucka Sucka Sucka. Sucka Circus. Sucka Sucka, like a Booker T band. Sorry, dude. British. I pronounce things strange. (laughs) Who would have thought somebody pronouncing something strange in this uh, podcast? 
Paul this is the only one who sense. talks normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, Wasp quickly became known as one of the uh, preeminent shock rock bands with a lyrical emphasis on sex, alcohol, and more sex. Songs like Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, led to them being included on the Parents Music Resource Center's Filthy 15 list, which I honestly think should be considered a badge of honor for any band. I'm wondering why Dead Rights aren't already on that. No, no, we don't, we don't fuck like beasts, or at least we don't, we don't mention the beast fucking. <laughs> well, their, uh, their live shows were no less controversial, and frontman Blackie Lawless often tied semi-naked models to torture racks and he was also known for throwing raw meat into the audience rock and fucking roll baby <laughs> so they were they were in trouble because of um throwing meat into the audience <laughs> i mean that, that, oh, that yeah, their lyrics were what got them onto filthy 15 but raw meat yeah, yeah but throwing some, throwing it yeah pork chops and t-bones and <laughs> oh no it might hey, be no, a piece no, of chicken not yeah not <laughs> flaming yawn that's the good one <laughs> throw the porterhouse out there well that's when you knew they made it the scott steak throwing filet mignon i was like oh they sold out <laughs> yeah right <laughs> their meat cost more than my ticket did yeah fuck that this is not who I came to see. I remember when they were throwing coop sticks out, and now fuck that shit. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they should have stuck to the skirt steak. <laughs> By the time they released their fourth album, The Headless Children, in 1989, they were starting to move away from the overtly sexual lyrics, and that album ended up being their most critically acclaimed album and eventually their highest-selling album. Yeah, for Blackie, he said that, that when it came out, the album sold shit because they were not <laughs> doing anything crazy. But then it later became their best-selling album. Hopefully not because of their cover of The Real Me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So even at that time, things were just not meant to be. Guitarist Chris Holmes left the band in 1990, allegedly because he wanted more time with his new wife, Lita Ford. And, you know, the spend more time with the family excuse. Yeah, he got fired. And the band broke up shortly after. Can you blame him, though? He just married Lita fucking Ford. I'm yeah, like, that's true. I'm out. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. She probably, you know, wore the pants in the family, but. Fun fact, fun fact, um, Blackie Lawless was slated to play the T-1000 in Terminator 2, but Arnold said no because he was too tall. Imagine that. And I, I went to the, because I was like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine Blackie, like, instead of uh, Mr. Patrick being there like, I'm a wild child. So, just a quick note, the name WASP is all capitalized with periods in between, giving the impression that it's an acronym. And Blackie Lawless has been pretty elusive on what it actually stands for. Uh, on their first couple of albums, 
on the um, on the actual disc itself, it said we are sexual perverts, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> it, they've of course okay from time to time said um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and then my favourite one <laughs> when Blackie was once asked was we ain't sure, pal. <laughs> Actually, my favourite one is we are satanic people. Oh yeah. That's good. I mean, really, I any of them in, can work. So. Yeah, and I think that's in the in the live album, and in uh, uh, live in the raw. I I just like how he's very inconsistent on what it actually stands for. It keeps a little bit of mystery around it all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was in a uh, a death metal band for a period of time. We were actually called. Yeah, I know. Me, go what? figure. Um, we were called Voluntary Dismemberment, except on the flyers, we always listed it as VD. <laughs> so most of the time, people thought, you know, the band name was Venereal Disease or something or other. And I was just like, you know what? You interpret it as you want it to be interpreted. I know, <laughs> I know what it actually stands for, but I always uh, enjoyed what people would come up with as the acronym for VD. So we're here for that venereal disease shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> vaginal discharge, you know, yeah. all kinds of, all kinds of fun, nice. great ones. We're addicted to that vaginal <laughs> discharge. Buddy. Some more. Uh, so back to wasp. <laughs> You're making this, this very repressed Brit a little uncomfortable. I am sorry. I'll so, keep my vaginal discharges to myself. Thank you. We appreciate that. And from the T1000 Wikipedia, there's such a thing as a Wikipedia for everything. Cameron's original pick to play the T1000 was rock musician Billy Idol, and storyboards had the robot resembling him. But a serious motorcycle accident prevented Idol from accepting the role. Blackie Lawless, as the lead singer of Wasp, was also considered for the role, but he was deemed too tall. Uh, what could have been? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I'm inside the electric circus! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny, um, after listening to a couple of things, um, you guys have seen Metalocalypse, right? Yes. The and, occasional episode, yeah. Right, and how they make... Um, the clown guy, kind of more like a David Lee Roth. Yep. You know, Dr. Roxo. Roxo! I'm kind of actually starting, after listening to this album and just knowing about Blackie, I kind of feel like it might have been a little bit about him, too, even though I think they they hone in more on David Lee Roth. I think Blackie could follow in suit of that just the same. Because he's Dr. Roctor. Right. Yes. He's Roxo. And he does co- 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 cocaine. You know, like. <laughs> That's all we got from Anthony that whole week. Look at all the cocaine on stage. <laughs> right. So I, 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 I mean, know. just you, you watch one of their live performances and they are coked <laughs> out of their mind. Or even the video for Wild Child. Look at how much cocaine is clearly going on behind the scenes in that video. It's amazing. <laughs> anyway, faced with the disappointment of not being cast in Terminator 2. Blackie started work on a solo album, uh, which was to become the Crimson Idol. And there was a sustained campaign 
from both promoters and fans that led to it actually being released as a Wasp album. So this didn't start life as a Wasp album. Yeah, but the yeah. first name for it was called the um, T-1000 Idol, but <laughs> oh. he got sued. I thought Did it was yeah. the uh, the cocaine idol. <laughs> no, that was the that, that's the, the story. Yeo, <laughs> yep. Anyway, before we get into the Crimson Idol, I'm going to leave it to Paul to bring down the mood for everyone. Paul, who yeah. you got this week? Um. Well, I, I'm going to keep it kind of short and simple, but. Um, uh, that page I was discussing a few weeks ago, uh, they actually broke down the serial killers by IQ, which Ooh. I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so basically the two top ones that were IQs of 160 um, were basically these uh, sexual predator killers. Um, let's see. Charlene Gallego was an American serial killer along with her husband, Gerald, were known as the love slave killers and the Gallego sex slave killers. Together, they murdered 10 victims in Sacramento, California between 1978 and 1980. Some of the victims were kept as sex slaves for the couple before they were murdered. Uh, they were known to beat, rape, strangle, shoot, you know, all kinds of stuff to their victims. Um, they were arrested in 1980 when a witness reported the couple's license plate to authorities, and so on and so forth. They basically were just like, yeah, it was him. <laughs> turned each other in um now the other one was uh rodney al alcala he was an american serial killer known as the dating game killer for appearing on the game show the dating game in the middle of his killing spree i mean what yep. a set of ball balls on what? that guy he's on he's on youtube you can find him on youtube you can find him winning on youtube that's insane. He actually he won the, that episode. I believe he won the episode. <laughs> Holy crap! I, I believe actually... I'll I'll check it out. I didn't know you were going to talk about him. I would have found him and watched the whole thing. He's there. He's not even good looking, man. He looks like a like a turd with a, a with a wig. <laughs> hey, Rodu, can can you put the link in the uh, the release notes for this episode? Uh, yeah, let me look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um. Wow. I did not. I did not even know that. Um. So I, I really wonder if he won that episode of the dating game. That would be creepy if he uh -huh. killed the person he actually <laughs> he, won I, I the don't date. Think she, yeah, I don't think she died. I think that went on one date. On, you know, that first date is um, monitored, so he couldn't fucking kill her. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, where was the girl that we had on TV last week? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that'd be kind of pretty obvious. Um so Alcala was convicted of five murders, although his actual total is estimated to be higher. He had a locker filled with thousands of photographs of women and children, mostly in sexually explicit poses, and is suspected that some of the women photographed may be among um, the other uh, victims that weren't um, claimed before. Um, says that he remains in California State Prison uh, pending further appeals of his death sentences. Um, so that was kind of the two highlights that were, you know, really up there, the top 160 IQs. Um, and then I just kind of went down the list briefly, um, with, you know, people that would be known or that we've discussed on this podcast. Um, granted there was only 72 people listed, so I don't think they obviously, uh, scoured every serial killer to try and figure out their IQ. Um, but number nine was Ted Bundy. He had a IQ of 136. 
Uh, number 29 was John Wayne Gacy. He had an IQ of 118. Uh, David Berkowitz came in at number 32 with 115 for IQ. Uh, number 45, uh, Robert Christian Hansen, which is the butcher baker, which is somebody we mentioned, I think, about three podcasts ago. Yep. Um, uh, he was listed at 91. Uh, again, Henry Lee Lucas, the highway stalker, confession killer, um, which goes with um, these guys were both, which is kind of funny. They were one after each other, and Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper, those were the guys that um, Henry the Serial Killer movie was based upon. Um, those guys were both list- listed as uh, 89 for IQ. Uh, Otis Tool, he was another one. What <laughs> that a we've tool. Just, Yeah, he was number 59 with 75, and then I didn't go all the way down um, to the kind of the lowest, but Jeffrey Dahmer was kind of the last one in line. Um, he was number 62, and his IQ was apparently 75. So, so, so sorry to interrupt you, but she I think he won, and she found him creepy, and she refused to go on a date with him. <laughs> nice. That's hilarious. <laughs> and the comments are amazing. Were you, we're we're going to have a great time, Cheryl, before I kill you. <laughs> What's wrong with morning, afternoon? Too many witnesses, of course. <laughs> Thank oh you, YouTube comment. Yeah, that's uh, great. She um, won a date with a serial killer, and she had to kiss, kiss the host on the lips. The 70s were pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did um, you see the link? I posted it, Anthony. I did. Yeah, Thank you see you. how beautiful that man is? He's, he's like, I am touching myself right now. <laughs> I have not clicked into it yet. I will do that afterwards. It's like a, it's like a Muppet. I'm, I'm, there's a movie called Meet the Feebles with Muppets killing each other. And that's yes, what I, that, he will fit right in there. That movie is amazing. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is amazing. <laughs> Uh, um, anyway, that was kind of from uh, the makers yeah. of Dead Alive. That's right. That's yeah. right. Your your favorite Lord of the Rings director. Yes, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson bad. is a gift to the world. I know. Bad taste. Bad Meet the taste. Feebles and Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Mm, we anyway. need to do a marathon on all of those. Yeah, that would be cool. Did we lose Anthony? Anthony's probably just looking at a. At, <laughs> Murder hermit. Yeah. I, I, got, I, I went down a rabbit hole there. I'm still here, though. <laughs> Murder. You see, you see, this is a serial killer we can talk about because he looks like a tool. <laughs> He's like, uh, where do you want to go? Uh, down into hell with you. Uh, uh. <laughs> I say I like to go down. I mean, I like to go down. Right. <laughs> wow <laughs> I I'm murdered little... 55 people I'll go on TV that's okay <laughs> I know like seriously right though like what a brave brave crazy man like I'm in the middle of a killing spree you know what I'm gonna go on the dating game show like who was the um, I don't know what the title is but who's the booker like, who was like, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy we need on our show today. 
Well, I you mean, know, it's like, not like when they're filling out their information, they're like, well, I, well, hobbies are murdering women. You know, they're just lying. So they're like, yeah, my hobbies are walking on the beach, gazing <laughs> to her eyes as I stab Cutting. Yeah. I think about killing her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't say any of that. They just keep it to themselves. And uh, they don't, uh, it's the 70s. Well, how much... How much background checks do you think they were going through? <laughs> yeah, that's not true. much. Not much. After this, probably an FBI investigation for everybody. Right. So which one? Which one is he in the three here? Oh, the one, the one that looks like a muppet with the hairdo, um, long, longish hair. So he's on the end. Yeah. He's yeah, got he's his on. nice, nice dark tan jacket or whatever. Yep. With the disgusting um, teeth that yeah. look like nom 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was kind of it, it for that. I got a little bit I'm going to share on your podcast, and then I have a whole grip of stuff set up for mine. So, well, mine, you know, mine is is doom. Well, not seventies. No, so you know, keep the peace, man. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, I think we're I think we're done. I think we're gloomed it out. All right. Well, let's bring it back up and talk about the the actual album itself, The Crimson Idol. So, this fucking phenomenal album follows a format that I think you guys already know that I'm a total sucker for, the concept album. <laughs> yeah. So, the story behind The Crimson Idol is that of a teenager by the name of Jonathan Steele. And if you have, uh, if you can track down or it's on Spotify, the 1998 expanded version of this album, it was two discs. There's a, a track um, at the end of it called, um, I think it's called The Story of Jonathan that explains a lot of this. But in kind of super quick condensed version, uh, basically... His brother, Michael, the older brother, was the favorite child of their parents, while Jonathan was generally seen as a failure, uh, beaten by his dad, all that kind of stuff. Uh, after Michael is killed by a drunk driver, Jonathan runs away from home, becoming addicted to alcohol and drugs. While walking past a music store, he sees a guitar in the window and dreams of becoming a rock star, at which point he uses uh, an empty alcohol bottle to smash the window and he steals the guitar. He Those plays the stove. Really, really weak, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, maybe the bottle was still full. I don't know. Okay. Give it a bit more heft. Okay. Um, but anyway, he plays the stolen crimson-colored guitar as often as he can to try to make enough money to record an album. So no, he no police meet... reports were filed. So he's playing his guitar everywhere that he stole. Yep, apparently <laughs> not. Okay, just and... making sure. Just, anyway, just he then meets a man named Chainsaw Charlie, the president of a major record label. Charlie promises to make Jonathan a star and introduces him to Alex Rodman, who will be his manager. Jonathan goes on to achieve his ambition, but finds that life is not quite as glamorous as he expected. Despite now having fame and fortune, he longs for the one thing he always wanted, the love and acceptance of his parents. I just want to be loved, man. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> anyway one night before a concert Jonathan calls his parents in an attempt to reconcile their differences and heal the emotional wounds between them according to the story and I'm quoting here 
Less than 50 words were spoken, and the last four were his parents saying, we have no son. Realizing that he will never be accepted by his parents, Jonathan decides to die by suicide. And during the concert, he removes the strings from his guitar and hangs himself on stage. Dark stuff, my friends. So is there any way we can get Paul to buy those strings? (laughs) Because if he hung himself with them, those are really tough fucking things. And sometimes Paul is soloing and those things are like, bing, bing, bing. It it would also bring new meaning to the name Dead Rights. Yes. That is true. Well, I don't want those exact, but I just, we, you know, a sponsorship from whoever. Oh, oh. oh okay. Yeah. 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 Can we search <laughs> strings that murder Jonathan? Death strings. Death strings. <laughs> yeah. Put That's a good guitar. name for a band. <laughs> Death strings. That would, be, that, would be, <laughs> that would be like a symphonic kind of metal. Like instead well, of apocalyptic, apocalyptica. It'd be like yeah. death strings. It play play Cannibal Corpse on the viola and uh... no 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 enough <laughs> Cannibal Corpse <laughs> we've had enough. <laughs> I the other day I was thinking about smashing stuff with a hammer, so we need to stop. That's right. <laughs> and I have two with, weeks of Cannibal Corpse to go with with your face with my face. Yes. Fun fact, the Crimson Idol tour happened 50 years after the album's release, like the actual full album tour. A film recorded for the album was synced and played along with the band as they performed the songs for the first time ever. Those shows mark the first time that the band had performed the album from start to finish since its recording. The song Mephisto Waltz, which is the seventh track from the Headless Children, was played as a show opener, followed by the Titanic Overture, and then the rest of the album. Um, <clears throat> these shows had a long encore section with some Wasp classics. Um, and I already discussed that when I saw uh, the band in the 2001, Banali was playing drums with it, uh, for them. And then I have the double album, the double CD, and it has a cover of When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin that I actually wanted Paul to listen to. And and to be quite honest, I actually was not uh, offended by this cover at all. I felt they actually did a pretty decent job. Um, I, I was. I was heading down the road of being like, okay, here we go. I'm going to hate this. <laughs> it's like, you can't, you can't do that to Zeppelin. But um, I thought they did it justice. I mean, there were a few... Um, I guess uh, extra things like extra reverb and other sounds that were not necessarily necessary, but given that it's Wasp or Blackie, um, it's appropriate. So it fit. So I I wasn't, I wasn't offended. They didn't do anything crazy to the song. They kept it pretty much, you know, as it was and just did a cover. So I, uh, I, I'm okay with that. I'll I'll give him a pass. <laughs> cool. On, on the sentence that's going to bring more hate to this show than anything that I've ever said before, I'm not a fan of Led Zeppelin, so I didn't really care going into the song. Right. So, um, I like songs. I like songs from everybody, but I don't like Led Zeppelin. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I heard a Led Zeppelin version. I was like, oh, I can see. Yeah. 
So, Radu, I'm, I'm with you on that. I was on a panel at DragonCon last year on the Unholy Trinity of Hard Rock. Uh-huh. And I, I started it with, okay, everyone, three unpopular opinions from me. Led Zeppelin are the weakest of the three. Mark three and four of Deep Purple are better than Mark two. And Dio Sabbath is the best Sabbath. And I got booed <laughs> from the audience. It was awesome. <laughs> I, 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 it's just, it's not my music. I used to have a conversation with a friend in Puerto Rico and he used to, he used to get angry at me when I said there are two veins of metal or rock or metal. There's Led Zeppelin vein. There's the Black Sabbath vein. The, I, I only, I, I prefer heavily the Black Sabbath branch of the vein and I like some of that Led Zeppelin branch of the vein. Most of what I listened to was darker, you know, but I, I do dip into the other side too. And I'm not saying that Led Zeppelin is shit. I'm just saying I, I don't own any of their albums. I know the songs that I need to. Um, I've heard of them. I, I started hearing of their songs from other albums, uh, other artists that covered them. And I went back to listen to the originals and they're, they're good. It's just not my music yeah but i, I respect I, I, jimmy page is a monster fucking robert plant is it's a fucking amazing singer i always think of um like sabbath and metal um zeppelin and more hard rock and then um deep purple is somewhere in between yeah that's how, that's how i think of it yeah, and his his argument <laughs> I always drove him insane because I said that's not music. Uh, he like I, I was a dick growing up. I was not anymore. But he would say King Crimson, and uh, you know that progressive line is like other other lines of music, and I was like that's not music, and he would hate it, and he wanted me to. <laughs> so. He's probably still plotting. If I die, his name is Pepe. Find him in Puerto Rico. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, but I would just. Yeah. We're going to need to talk about your King Crimson opinion at some point. I don't like King Crimson <laughs> at all. And you can make me listen to as many albums as you want, and I'll listen to them because he did. He had that triple album. He had that triple album. Oh my God. And I listened. Boy, I listened. But. Uh... Yeah, no, I know. I saw, I, you said, I think one of the first conversations that you had with me, you were like, I went to see King Crimson and they played. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not that guy that's going to shit on what you're, you know, if you're excited about something, I'm like, oh, cool. Because that's the worst type of person. When you're like, oh, I yeah. went to a ghost show. I hate ghosts. Well, fuck you too. And your mom <laughs> sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> There's only uh, there's only one time we'll judge someone over music, and that's when they bring up fucking Nickelback. And even oh, if dude. even Nickelback, if they tell me I went to a Nickelback show and it was so good, I will I will still talk to them. And be like, oh yeah, cool. What did you like? What did they do? Awesome. Did they play this song? Like, it's it's you are the worst type of person if you ruin somebody's time <laughs> enjoying something. So. Like much as I spend a lot of this podcast shitting on Def Leppard, I will admit that they are a really good live band. They put on a good show. I just don't like their songs, but they're they're still good to watch. You know, they're awesome live. When I I only seen them once. I don't think I'm gonna see them again because I don't want to ruin that. But they're awesome live. I just my problem with Def Leppard is that if you are a B band 
who has been tittering between pop and rock, and you are the best band in that genre of pop and rock. You don't look at people who have been doing consistently the same thing and still keeping their fan base and shit on them because you're jealous because people respect them more than they respect you. That's my problem. I still want to take a minute and just casually shit on Five Finger Death Punch because they don't deserve to be famous. <laughs> I have anyway. a, the biggest problem I have with Five Finger Death Punch is I had to sit through one of their sets because I went with my friend George to see them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he likes them. And the guy would do, he did, they opened three songs and then he started fighting with the, with the spotlight guy. Took the spotlight off me. And that was the whole, the whole show that I was there. He was telling the spotlight guy he was going to get off the stage and go beat the <laughs> shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Was that getting the crowd pumped up? I mean, I guess it was in Georgia, so there were a couple of rednecks, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> But us in the back, we're just looking and at Drinking their PBR and Bud Light. Well, George was like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we saw Volbeat. Ah. It was Volbeat and Five Finger, and hell yeah. I saw hell yeah, I saw Volbeat, and then he was like. <laughs> there was one good band on that lineup. And which one is that? Hell yeah. I knew it. <laughs> so, so you're in with me for uh, not being a Volbeat fan? You know, I I honestly don't know that much about Volbeat. I know I know my boy Rob Cagion is in it, who I really liked in um, in Anthrax, but I don't think I've heard much by Volbeat, in all honesty. That is true. I only want to be with you. I'm going to make you listen to an album. <laughs> You're going to make me listen to nice. uh, King Crimson. I'm going to make you listen to Volby. I'm not going to make Did you die? Did well, the robot take over? Uh, Blackie, stop killing Anthony. <laughs> what? It, it 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 ate your your file. You were like, I am not going. Oh no, that happened. Can yeah. you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. I good. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not gonna make you listen to King Crimson. It's all good. Not gonna try and convince you. Oh well, I mean, you can't you can't convince me if I don't. Yeah, that's possible. But you can. We can listen to something. I'm okay with that. Like. As long as you're not expecting me to come out as a fan, yeah, we can listen to whatever. Because I know I'm not going to change anybody's mind about it. It's like having a political conversation. It's like, yeah. So, all right. But I'll listen to it. Well, before we uh, get too far down that line, let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about. Yes, Fear of the Dark. (laughs) Oh, wait, no. Sorry. All right, so the album kicks off with the Titanic Overture. Which is the track that introduces it. Oh, I'm sorry, Anthony. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I I got in my soapbox and I forgot what I was going to say. I apologize. I have it here written. I'll be quick, I swear. Um, Okay. 
you know that I have an obsession with numbers and set lists. So yep, yep. Sorry. So I searched for the set list for the Crimson Idol tour in 1992 because when they did the, the Crimson Idol tour 15 years later, they played the whole fucking album, and then they did a couple, you know, Wild Child, Line in Texas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But during, are you garnishing, Paul? And when I um, <laughs> when I got to bam, 19, bam. When I got to 1992, the set list for their tour tour was awesome. It was the Titanic Overture. They went into the Invisible Boy. Then the Real Me, God Damn It, Love Machine, Chainsaw Charlie, Wild Child, The Idol, The Headless Children, fucking hell. The Great Misconceptions of Me, Hellion, On Your Knees, I Don't Need No Doctor, I want to be somebody and blind in Texas. Nice. Yes. I am excited. I need to find one of those shows because headless children. Fuck. Yeah. So let's just, before we move on to the album there, they've of course appeared at monsters of rock in 1992, yes. which I made and headlined and released yes. as a live album live at Donington. Yes. And the lineup was, was actually way down the bill. So the headliner was Maiden, uh, Skid Row, Thunder, Slayer. Now, in what universe are Slayer below Thunder on the billing? I don't know. But then Wasp, and then the last band was The Almighty. The Almighty. I remember mm. The Almighty. Can name one song. Yeah, I'm not sure I could either. Yeah, but I remember them. I had a friend who was really into them. And then I actually, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here. But um, when I saw Def Leppard back in 2002, they were supported by The Darkness, who were fucking awesome. I took one look at them on that show and was like, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be big. Uh, and then they were also supported by Ricky Warwick, who was the vocalist and guitarist from The Almighty, doing his acoustic solo thing. Ricky Warwick. Who was, who was okay. <laughs> was he like, acoustic? he was doing the acoustic set before yeah. Metal Show? Oh, yeah. That's tough. That's ballsy. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Anyway, let's actually move on to the Crimson Idol now. Yeah, I'll shut up. Um, all right. So we kick off the album with the Titanic Overture, which is the track that introduces us to Jonathan, his teenage angst, not knowing entirely who he is because... Let's face it, how many of us did when we were like 14, as well as his highly antagonistic relationship with, with his father. So for me, this is just like your kind of standard intro track. But Paul, I know you're probably going to say something about the the guitar motif. It kind of <laughs> introduces. Beauty. Yes. Well, I just there was a lot of like I was saying before, where I heard different influences, um, especially in the the cleaner parts, you know, where I can hear, uh, especially in this track, uh, a lot of Zeppelin kind of influence, like we were discussing before of, um, like the babe, I'm going to leave you kind of that little pre-chorus riff. And I just kind of have this. Yeah. And, um, it has that, that, that slight amount of dissonance just to give you, you know, like, Ooh, 
what's about to happen? You know, so it, it has a nice building. Um, and for me, like, you know, I kind of felt like this was this whole album is like a, a really big rock opera, kind of like Tommy or Quadrophenia or anything like that. So I felt like this was setting a really good tone, you know, to start everything out. Yeah. Rodu, you got anything? I dislike opening tracks with no vocals because I'm a singer if they're too long. But this one was good. There are some vocals in this one. Some, yeah, there's some some vocals. But it's mainly, like, instrumental. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, I, I mean not this song. I mean, I usually dislike it, but uh, testament of how good this song is, is that I actually like it. Do I play it? No, I usually skip it until The Invisible Boy. When I when I start the album, I don't have to listen to the whole album. I just skip it, on, depending on how I feel. But it's a great track and um, a great way, I feel, to introduce the album. I, I feel like this track has a taste of everything that's coming up until track 10. Yeah. So is is this a statement to intent, guys? No. No. Nope. Unless the statement of intent is to tell me a story, then yes, because it looks okay. Sit down. You're gonna listen to a story. But a statement of intent that's saying I'm gonna slap you in the fucking face and listen to this album, no. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much agree on that point because, like I said, um, you know, it, it kind of. In this song, I already feel like the rock opera is building up, you know, mm-hmm. as the track ends, because you don't really get a whole, you get a gist of everything, but you don't really have a lot of vocals, so there's not really, the story hasn't been told, so you know that something big is coming up, but I don't, I agree, I don't feel like this song specifically states the intent, but it definitely gets you kind of in the mood. Yeah. Not to jump tracks, but Invisible Boy does have a statement of intent. Right. So let's talk about The Invisible Boy. That's a great segue, Roddy. So Thank you. This song delves deeper into that kind of fraught relationship between Jonathan and his parents, highlighting the beatings that Jonathan would frequently receive. Lyrically, this also delves deep into his self-loathing and emotional pain, something that he sees every time he looks in the mirror. And the mirror across the album becomes a recurring lyrical theme um this one's a fast-paced rocker and um i really like this one but there's one line in particular that just cracks me up and that's the way that blackie sings yeah i'm the new wedding boy it just makes me laugh every fucking time um and of course this one ends with the refrain that becomes repeated through the course of the album only love love sets me free so yeah i agree with Radu. this one is definitely the statement of intent if they yes. opened the album with this one it, or even had the titanic overture and the invisible boy as one track definite yes. statements of intent right yeah. maybe just maybe take like half of the you know the titanic overture make it not so titanic and make it with the invisible boy and yeah that definitely would have well it's it's like if you think back to Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, right, with, with Moonchild, that starts off with the, the acoustic 
seven deadly sins, seven ways to win. And then, you know, slowly amps up, the synths come in, and then you get the the crushing guitar. Like, yep. if they did something like that with the Titanic Overture and the Invisible Boy as one track, it would it would feel like that. It would feel more of a statement of intent. It would be the I mean, t- Titanic not- Invisible Boy. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Not to sound like a like a fanboy, but um, Maiden did so many things well with Seven Son. Mm-hmm. Something like that, as minuscule as that, is just like fuck, man. But I'm not saying Wasp did it wrong. There is no wrong way to do this. I'm just saying this song kicks fucking ass, and it would have been great to you know like stay bam in your face. But that's not what this album was about, so I understand. Okay. Arena of Pleasure? Oh, to me, it's one of the best songs of the fucking album. Yeah. yeah I, I, re- I really love this song. Yeah. That chorus. Arena of Pleasure! Oh, love it. Oh, well, well, the soloing that mm. the guy does. Oh, my God. Rest in peace. I know. Ripping. Ripping lead all over this entire tune. <laughs> So uh, this this track is um, it's where Jonathan finally runs away from home and sets down the path that leads to his fame and fortune. He enters the arena of pleasure, which is the city where he would find his fame while also using drugs and alcohol to numb his pain. While it's not explicitly in the lyrics, this is also where he steals his first guitar in terms of the storyline, the titular Crimson Idol. That's the place where you can break down a window and play the guitar in front of the place and they will not find you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place. I want. We need to tour there. I need new mics. It was my favorite. Like, as I was going through the album, and I'm, I'm trying to go back to 92, not last week, but as I was going through the album, I remember uh, the Titanic Overture was like, eh, instrumental. Uh, Invisible Boy, I was like, this is my favorite song on the album. Then Arena Pleasure, I was like, this is my favorite song on the album. Then Chainsaw Charlie, oh, this is my favorite song of the album. So it's like a one, two, three, four punch for me. <laughs> the first punch is a tap, a little tappy, like, hey. <laughs> it's a little slap on the cheek. Yep, a little slap. And then you're like, what the fuck are you? And then, yeah. uh, which brings us into my favorite track of the album which is chainsaw charlie murders in the new morgue so this is where charlie pitches his deal to jonathan with jonathan wondering whether it's worth selling his soul to obtain success the lyrical themes deal with the cutthroat nature of the music industry and charlie knows exactly what he is um and this is reflected in lyrics with i'm the president of showbiz my name is charlie i'm a cocksucking asshole that's what they call me here, here from my Hollywood tower I rule. I'm a lying motherfucker. The chainsaw's my tool. I mean, th- this is biting stuff. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's probably a lot of um, a lot of Blackie's personal experiences with the industry in this. And, and he's uh, probably bitter at this by this time. Like, super yeah. bitter. Yeah. You can really hear the aggression and venom in Blackie's voice, which... I think shows exactly what he thinks of the commercial side of the industry. I also think musically, there's a fair amount of Maiden in this track. Um, the entire band plays their sucks off. The little, 
the little guitar uh the, i don't know what you would call them but the the mini solos in the middle of the chorus mm-hmm. um what what would you call that paul your molos. musical enough. mini solos are called molos, molos. <laughs> 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 they kind of like fills, more or less. Fills, yeah. The guitar fills. They're they're great. I mean, you know, I I feel like the entire band is really on top form with this track. Listen to the drumming on this one. Fucking hell, it's like a three hour workout in one song if you're a drummer. And there's well, there's the like... drumming. The drumming on 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 the Titanic Overture is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean well, through the that... entire album. That was kind of, but see, that's where I think I hear the Zeppelin kind of um, a lot is kind of bottom was really bottom heavy with the drums. And there's another track we'll get to it. Actually, I think it's the next one that um, reminded me a lot of um, like Keith Moon um, Mm. from The Who, where there was just a lot of Tom fills and these this kind of, um, uh, you know, building, you know, kind of massive rhythms on top of everything. that, re- that really kind of dynamically take it out. And maybe that's all Frankie. You know, that was like his influences coming out within uh, Blackie's music. So I dig it. Um, so there's a great video on YouTube of their performance of this at Monsters of Rock 92, where you really see the band at like their rawest most energetic and it's really like a warts and all performance voices are cracking occasional notes are being misplayed (laughs) and that's the kind of performance i really love to see like i don't want to see a live performance that's been touched up to hell in the studio sorry judas priest but like just (laughs) seeing a band like as you would see them if you were there i love that Yeah, yeah nice raw feel to everything Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like I don't like I like the misfits, so I don't like normal <laughs> performances <laughs> where all the notes are played and it sounds like the album. Yeah, that's so, boring. That's boring. That's boring. All right, so we move on to the gypsy meets the boy, where a chance encounter with a gypsy woman in the streets leads to Jonathan having his fortune read. And he tells her that he wants phenomenal wealth and fame. And the gypsy woman sees all of this in his future, but also warns him that the higher he flies, the further he will fall. Disturbed by what she has seen, she leaves the cards behind with Jonathan and walks away. I don't remember the song. I never remember the song. Ever. I, (laughs) like, I just listened to it this morning and I'm trying to go into my brain and think about it. I know it starts with an acoustic guitar. But the problem with this song is that it's right in the middle of Chainsaw Charlie and Dr. Rockter. And those two are like my favorites in the album. So this is kind of like, okay, you are just stopping me from greatness. Or you're coming from greatness into this. Well, that's the thing. It kind of weaves in and out, I think. Where you go Chainsaw and then this kind of is, you know, in, in essence, a segue into the so it's instrumental right with her talking i always like as i'm listening to the album i always like black out i go i go i black out lawless i go out and i'm like <laughs> i don't know what's happening like i'm like and then you know dr rockter's there so. i mean it's it, it's not entirely instrumental um you know that there's, there's somebody talking 
Well, no, there's some singing because Blackie comes in and, and does the I just want to be, I just want to be, I just want to be the Crimson Idol. I so he does that. it here. This is why I'm and not then He does it. it at the end. <laughs> uh, he does it. Okay. And that's why I block it because he repeats it a, a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, this album what? has a lot of a lot of repetition in, in the singing, really, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. to kind of tie yeah, the concept rock, together. Rock opera. Yeah. Rock opera. There's nothing you, you can't. Yeah. I can't. I, I'm not holding it against him, but that's the reason why I'm like, I don't remember this song. Because every time when every time Paul said, "I just want to be the the Crimson Idol," I think about the song, uh, the last one that ends with that. Oh, uh, the great misconception of me. The great misconception of me. But I'm sure it happens again. Anyway, yeah, blocked it, blocked it. Um, <laughs> so you guys are gonna have to take this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I was saying that this one to me had like a very kind of who uh, big arena sound where it was building. It starts out where it's very, you know, very calm. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of get these tom rolls and everything and these big fills on the drums with these, you know, giant kind of sus chords kind of creating this, you know, kind of big uh, arena sound. So you've got this kind of, I don't know. Uh, foundation building up and building up and then like he's saying we go into the you know I don't want to be the Crimson Idol and then we go into the next track so I feel like it's it's just a giant kind of segue so um, again it's a rock opera so to me I mean it fits I don't find anything you know I, I, I actually I like the entire album so I can't say anything <laughs> I don't like the entire album <laughs> you disappoint me or i do but i mean i i agree this one for me is is not a highlight it's not bad um you know, I, there's only one song on this album that i really dislike um and this isn't it but it's it's a little forgettable you know it's it's particularly coming after chainsaw charlie i mean radu i think you made a good point it's between two pretty fast-paced rockers and it yeah. gets a little lost in that. And I, I understand takes... what he was doing. Completely different. Yeah. And that takes us on to the next track, Dr. Rockter. So Yeah. Dr. Rockter! In terms of the story, <laughs> as Jonathan is getting more and more famous, he increasingly relies on his doctor on the pain that he feels. So not such a subtle metaphor here. The doctor is obviously... Jonathan's drug dealer providing him with morphine, codeine, cocaine, and heroin. Um, knowing Wasp, it was probably mostly cocaine, but you know. <laughs> yeah, they kind of they kind of all kind of go in that same uh, vein. Uh-huh. 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 Hey. Uh-huh. 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 It's definitely a um, a fast-paced track that kind of leaves you wanting more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it is kind of short. Yeah, but it's so good. It is so. Doctor, good. please. Doctor, please. Doctor, Raptor. <laughs> I love. This. Uh, yes, yes. I also like the following track a lot, which is surprising because. I am one. I am one. 
it's surprising because I am like, eh, it's going down. But no, <laughs> but I like it. So, do we want to talk about I Am One or do Paul, do you have no. anything to say no, on Dr. Rocker? No. I'm all listening. I'm listening. Just I have the thing. I'm just looking at it. You have more stuff to say about Sweet Dr. Rocker? No, I mean, I just in complete agreeance. It was a great tune, good pace. There's a lot of good hooks in it. You know, the whole Dr. Please. Um, the one thing that I do find interesting throughout, I mean, it can, they kind of do this throughout the album, as we've discussed already, is you hear these same um, kind of phrases kind of popping in and out of uh, the melody. You know, like you kind of hear like a faint murders in the new morgue kind of like and occasionally yeah. you kind of hear this little melody jumping out. So there's little touches throughout the album where they do that. And it just reinforces um, kind of certain certain parts maybe that's why you know um the murders in a new morgue is kind of the bigger one for everyone is because there's an instance of that song in like half of half of these songs where you just slightly hear this little wait a minute what's that did you just say so my theory on that is that chainsaw charlie is the reason that his is not his father chainsaw charlie is his father figure and that is the reason that he's gone down this hole so every time you see or hear about chainsaw charlie or merge in the new morgue about that song because it is spread out all over the the, the the next few songs every time you hear it is his way of telling you because of that is how i got to this so i'm in drugs because i signed with chainsaw and I can't keep up, and I can't take the change, and this father figure let me down like my other father figure let me down. And then when you go to the end of the album, when he's about to kill himself, he goes back to, you know, he goes back again to the, ah, ah, ah. It's kind of like, that's where everything went fucking downhill because I thought I had found what I wanted because the worst thing about getting your heart broken is getting it broken twice when you thought that person was going to fix it. I'm not sure I agree with that, actually. Awesome. I like this again. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, you, you think about how the story's going through this, and he's already doing alcohol and drugs when he um, steals the guitar, right? So before he's even met Charlie. And all through Chainsaw Charlie, I mean, he's he's singing the, you know, Oh, but would I feed my hunger if I swallow lies right down my throat? You know, he, he knows what's going to happen. You have to um, get to the next line, which is my favorite. Which one? And tomorrow my when, I'm gone. when I'm gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, will they harm my image on? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Charlie I agree with says. that. But it's, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I just think, you know, he already knows who Charlie is and, and what to expect from Charlie. So I don't think he's looking up to Charlie as a potential kind of father figure. So as a, so as a junkie, do you think he would be that clear-headed as you are right now? I'm just talking about lyrically, man. Well, <laughs> talking lyrically, I'm talking about the junkie. Because he's a junkie at that point. Yeah, but if if you, I mean, looking at the lyrics of Chainsaw Charlie, I mean, he knows he's got this. He's going through this, 
like debate in his own head of is this worth it? Is this really what I want? Like he's clearly got the the clarity of mind to do that. Yeah, but when you're totally inundated with drug abuse, you can have those epiphanies, but it doesn't mean you're getting out of the game. Fair. Um, I mean, I know I know people who are junkies. So I, I I don't have the or who've been junkies, so I don't have the experience of being there. But I don't know. I don't know if Paul's had a different experience. But you know, I've, what... I've had some dark points uh, with uh, <laughs> things over the years. So <laughs> I have. Not I have to throw you in the middle. You no, no, no. You no, I'm, I'm not going to incriminate myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I have, I have experienced a lot of things, and I've been around a lot of people where a lot of things like this uh, unfolded and generally um it just yeah it it does a number on you and you may think that you're in the clear mind and you may think that you're doing the right thing but your uh idea of reality is so far skewed that you really don't have a concept of what you do to others you know as well as what you're feeling on the inside so um i've i've known Yeah, like I said, I've known a few people that went really down the wrong path. Some never came back. Um, So it's, I I don't know. I kind of agree with with, uh, both points on everything, but. What a surprise. You're in the middle of an issue. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, Well, because you both bring up valid points about different things. And I can't say one overshoots another. Um, because they both, they both play into it, but they may, there's a lot of gray area that goes into this mm-hmm. that can determine a lot. And, yeah. and that's, and that's kind of where it's like, well, it's very ambiguous in that way. Um, that it could, it could very well be what you said, or it could be very well what you said, but there could be again, a misconception, um, a great misconception of him, right? Yeah. Ding ding. Sorry, that wasn't a good segue for the next track, but <laughs> look at you, Paul, being the voice of reason. I was trying. Um... <sighs> He's always the voice of reason. It's annoying. <laughs> it's fucking annoying. Like even when we're like having a conversation where it's obviously three people are right and two people are wrong. He's gonna be in the middle, like, well. When he stepped on the kid, he wasn't looking at the right place. <laughs> I just try. Uh, I just try and look through all the angles. That's all. Well, we that's don't fine. know. Like, my last name is not Lawless, and we called Anthony Blackie for other stuff. But um, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> only he knows. Yeah. You're, yeah. We know about your sexual pleasures. Anyway, next track. <laughs> I am one. All right. So this is where Jonathan has become his own man. He is on a warpath with his fame and success, and he doesn't need anyone, let alone his fucking parents. Fuck them. And he is letting his nasty side out. So he's trying to show that he doesn't care 
about them, but despite this, he frequently refers back to them with lyrics like, Mama, look what I've become. The truth is still there. It's just deep down. This man is indeed on a dark path. The path. Dark path. The path. It's a great is song. Pat, this is also on the left-hand side? Yes. Yes. Actually, he's on the right one because he... Well, he could be on the left one because he killed himself. But yeah. Right. Yep. Um, great song. I think um, highly over... Um, underrated because of his positioning so far into the album that you'll forget when you're looking at the list. It's like, oh, the idol. Yeah, that should be good. And then I Am One comes in and just slaps you in the face. Good song. Great, great song. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we, we often talk about middle album syndrome, you know, like mm -hmm. songs that are in the middle get a little lost. I think that's something we've seen a lot with Maiden as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. This is a really good one, and I think it's. I mean, it's got to be where it is just because of the structure of a concept album. And there's an interview with Blackie from um, Headbangers Ball. Uh, I think the UK version from like the the time that this was released. And he was talking about the problems with recording a concept album and how you know when recording a normal album, he would write his songs and then play around with the the running order. And with a concept album, you can't do that because you've got to tell the story. Yep. Um, so yeah, but yeah, this is this is a good song. Again, as as you said, just a little let down by the running order. Paul, what, uh, what you got? Uh, um, not, I mean, nothing crazy. I, I again, I agree. It's a very you know straightforward tune. They got nice leads, uh, catchy choruses. Um, you know the uh, what's the deal with the montage of cities in the beginning? What is the idea of that? He's on tour. He's on tour. Okay, so he's there isn't tour. any any real reference other than the fact that he's on the road. Yeah. Well, I think it's 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 meant to be like symbolical of his success, right? Okay. So without his parents, yeah. he's become successful. Fuck you, mom and dad. I've done it without you. Okay. Yeah, like you know, if it was Dead Rice, it would be like, "Hello, Duluth. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Villarica. <laughs> Hello, Atlanta." <laughs> <laughs> Duluth, Georgia, Hello. how are you doing? Uh, yeah. Macon. Hello, Macon. So, in this case, it's like, hello, Atlanta. Hello, Florida. Hello, Europe. <laughs> hello. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yay! All right, on to the idol. Hello, the idol. So, this one starts with his manager, Alex Rodman, breaking up one of his parties, and Jonathan is left all alone. And he finally picks up the courage to call his parents with the hope of reconciling and having them express their love for him and to say that they're proud of him. Suffice to say, this is the moment where he is rejected that time, uh, that call that ends with, we have no son. And with all his false friends having left, this is where he is left alone with his thoughts and where his realisation that the fame and debauchery are only ways of numbing the pain that he feels. And what he really craves is the love of his parents, that only love will set me free. Um, and that's a love that he will never receive from them. And this is something that really drives him down the path that results in the album's grand finale. And I think one thing I really love about this one is at eight minutes long, this song ends with an absolutely blistering guitar solo that would be 
worthy of the king of heartfelt guitar solos himself, Mr. David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. That is, to me, some seriously fucking impressive work from Bob Kulik. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was another song, uh, track two, I thought had a very Pink Floyd type of sound. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally agree with the solo and everything like that. I mean, see, that's what's weird is, you know, you're thinking Blackie, and that's the concept album, but I'm hearing so much more influence from the drummer and the guitar player that's not, you know, not necessarily um, Blackie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know how much he dictated of, you know, this is the chord progression do whatever you want or this is what it's got to be here or or if he just let them you know kind of be free with you know here's a strong song structure you know show me what you got you know so i feel like a lot of those influences of both um bob and frankie were really really coming out in this whole album um so i agree it's just rip and lead very floyd i hear a lot of maiden in this too yeah Uh, um, and that may just be the the progression itself, because it's just like those three chords kind of going back and forth, which is a very textbook maiden kind of scenario. But uh, it, it makes up for a, a good melodic lead and everything. Yeah, good, I completely good song. agree. Good song. Solos are not, you know, something that I pay a lot of attention to, but this is another one of those songs. Like this song... This album broke two of the things that I usually don't pay attention to a lot because I'm more of a singer guy and singy and getting to the next chorus and whatnot. But the instrumental in the beginning is fantastic. And the, the that solo at the end, it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That's what that kind of David Gilmore style guitar playing does. I mean, even if you're not a guitar person, it's like, fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of those albums that made me appreciate other things in in music, um, not just you know because I was when I was growing up, all I cared about was the singing, the singing. I didn't care about solos, and I would see people air air guitaring, and I was like, I don't give a fuck. Let's just get to the <laughs> next chorus, you know. And then this this is Maiden is actually the one who started. Uh, making me pay attention to things like that. And then from there, Metallica and whatnot. And then this album came out and I was a little more ready to absorb it. Actually, the album that made me be ready to absorb this fucking album came out the year before, which is uh, Sabotage Streets, which is Ah. an album we are going... If we had had an album in 1991, we would have been doing this with that album. Because to me, that is the perfect concept album. Well, um, we can come back to that when we're done with Maiden. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. But I was thinking, I thought Streets came out around this same time. How many fucking concept albums came out at this time? But yeah, 91, and then in this one in 92. And when did Mindcrime came out? 90? No, that was 80. That was the same year as 80, Seventh Son. Uh, Sorry, 87 or 88? 88. 88, 87 was yep. uh seven sun and fucking mind crime so it's like concept album galore in that span of 10 years or yeah. six years yeah yeah great song so 
before we uh, move on from the idol, just, you know, lyrically, this one comes back repeatedly to the, you know, uh, give me love, come to set me free, only love, love set me free kind of lyrical refrain that we've had throughout the album. You know, again, just kind of underpinning the whole concept. Right. I dig it. All right, let's move on to the one track that I skipped. Ugh. Hold on to my heart. So this one's a ballad that really breaks up the, the frenetic pace of the album. It, it, I don't think it loses any of the intensity lyrically, but... Ugh. That video. Um, you know, while Jonathan has a fire burning in his heart for music, he can't balance that with his pain. He needs someone else, i.e. his family, to hold on to his heart, but he knows that will never happen. Um, I get what this is trying to do lyrically and thematically and, and what it's trying to do in the concept. I just, I don't enjoy this one. That, I think I didn't the, the video. I, I haven't seen the video, so I'm not as... Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> not as against that. But um, to me, this sounds like another song all together i yeah. hear i hear like three to at least two different other songs other ballad tunes that i don't know if it's the chord progression the way they put it together but i still haven't been able to figure out what song it is it almost <laughs> the lack of a better idea i feel it almost sounds like a Def leopard ballad like little bit there's like a certain i mean well that'll help him shit on the song any more than he already has so I since just he doesn't heard, like it i just felt anthony's soul leave his body <laughs> but there's there's such a heavy there's a, such a like a real heavy ballad that's like this a typical progression and i that's the Def Leppard was the only band I could think of, but I know there is like at least two or three other '80s bands, you know, like almost like Dokken or, you know, something along those lines that have hey, used hey, something hey. in that vein. Hey, some love but, for Dokken. Yeah, I got no problem with Dokken. I'm just stating the fact about a, you know, ballad-written tune that had an '80s tone to it. Um. But I, I, like I said, I hear other songs in this one. So I guess maybe yeah. that makes me not hate it as much. Um, or maybe and I'm I, too busy trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> I think it, I it, hate it. It, it serves a point. Like, it, it serves a purpose. I mean, it is there just before, you know, it's like the calm before the storm. So you got... That that yeah, I'm struggling to talk this morning, guys. You got the idol, then you've got hold on to my heart, which calms things down, and then we move into the intensity of the great misconceptions of me. Like I I think it's there to like add a little bit of a break in between in between those and bring down the music before we go into something huge. Yeah, so we're setting the mood. Kind of calm down, calm down a second, and then bow. Yeah, it makes it makes the great misconceptions of me a lot more powerful. You see, I always thought that it was just they needed a single, so they did that. <laughs> I mean, they performed Chainsaw Charlie on top of the pops. They did. I think 
I think well, it made still, no- I think Chainsaw it. Charlie made like number seventeen on the UK charts. It's a good song, but yeah, they needed a single. They needed a ballad. Everybody in nineteen ninety two, unless your first name was Iron or last name was Maiden or Slayer, <laughs> needed a ballad. I was going to say, even Maiden in 1992 had Wasted Love. Yes, they did. And boy, did we hope. We wish they did. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. um, uh, Just their performance on Top of the Pops, I I love the fact that uh, as they were being introduced, the the hosts, who were two comedy characters, said uh, that Wasp were probably the Queen Mother's favorite heavy metal band. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh, I can't imagine I can't imagine seeing her getting into that I would love no. to see, yeah I would love to see her get into that may um, she rest in peace uh, did um they lip sync right no the vocals were live on that oh wow <laughs> everything else was mined because they didn't let anyone do um, live music but they, they let Blackie sing live wow that's brave. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> the great misconceptions of me. Whew, this song is intense. There is so much to unpack in this one. Um, you know, being completely broken by his parents' final rejection of him. This is the grand finale, culminating in his onstage suicide, hanging himself with his guitar strings. Starting off acoustically, carrying on that kind of more mellow, chill vibe from Hold On To My Heart... This song develops into a fast-paced track with a galloping bass line that Steve Harris would have been proud of, with power metal-worthy drumming and some absolutely blistering guitar work. Make no mistake, my friends, standing at nine, nearly 10 minutes long, this is the type of epic that should wrap up every great metal album. I said what I said. <laughs> I don't think it's that good. But I was probably already tired of the album by the time I got to that track. But it's a good song. It's a good song. But I, I, I did not come out of it, you know, wanking. Well, that's disappointing. I'm sorry. I guess I used all my sperm on tracks uh, one through seven. It's fair. Most notably four and six. Preferably four and six, yes. Four and six or yeah. Blackie would be very disappointed in your stamina. Yep, yep, but that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, you know, this was just, you know, it was summing up everything that's already been going on. Uh, you know, just like a giant reprise of everything. You know, you get some super maiden galloping sanding, you know, sounding riffs with, you know, the same kind of same theme that's been going on throughout the entire thing. So, you know, I think it's... Uh, it's a good wrap-up. Um, I think you just hit the nail on the head of why I'm not that crazy about that song. Like, I feel like I've heard it all before by the time I get to this track. Right. And that's what I'm saying is there, yeah. there's a lot of themes that re- occur and reoccur throughout multiple songs. So that you almost... There was points where I was like, what track am I listening to? Because it made me... Well, because it made me think. I was like, wait a minute. I thought I just heard the Crimson... No, wait a minute. No, he said it's Crimson Idol in this one, too. I'm like, wait a minute. So <laughs> Where I really am I? Of, yeah, I had to pay attention a little bit on a couple of tracks because I kept getting confused about what they were. And again, we're now on the reprise of everything. So we're really just going to throw 
everything in there and not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that, you know, you know, we're, we're bringing the, the statement of intent to a conclusion. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> the intent has been um, finished. Yes. <laughs> the intent was to kick your ass. Yeah, and wow, did they deliver through this album. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, like, I, I like that this album, uh, that this track kind of replays some of those themes. I feel like since the album's trying to tell a story, you know, it's it's succeeded. The story's coming to an end, and those themes that have been present throughout, they're like having them repeated here, but slightly slightly um, twisted. You know, he he was previously singing, I just want to be, I just want to be the Crimson Idol. Here he's singing, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the Crimson Idol. You know, it's... It's... Um, A reflection. It, yeah, and that goes back to the that theme of the mirror as well. Right? Talking about reflections. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's funny in the... Um... According to the Wikipedia, the one of the list of characters is the mirror. Yeah. So I found I found that interesting that they made the inanimate object a character <laughs> within the realm of this. I mean, I just I mean, think this album is is really smart in the way it's put together. You know, not every concept album is quite so self-aware you know i i think fundamentally blackie is a fairly intellectual guy despite all of the shock rock stuff from the 80s you know you listen to interviews he's very self-aware he's very savvy um he can be a bit of a dick at times but you know <laughs> I, cocaine's a hell of a drug <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I i think he's a smart dude but by God, does he know it? Yeah, no, I really, I mean, at first I was like listening to it going, hmm, I'm not really sure about this. Um, but I mean, by the second time listening through, it was starting to catch on. And now I think I've listened to it seven times. Now I'm really, now I'm really into it. So the album I think or the it, track? The No, the album. I mean, I think this album, I mean, obviously we're now kind of wrapping up, but I think this album is an absolute masterpiece. And it's, it's, I think, terribly, terribly underrated. It, it doesn't get the recognition it deserves in the metal community. But the one thing that we had dis discussed before is that this was way different than anything Wasp had ever done before. So yeah. when people heard this, they were like, wait a minute, hold up. And, uh, you know, of course, you guys know the catalog better than I do. But after the fact, it seems like nothing was ever the same after this album came out. Just, you know, for the same, you know, for same reasons. Um, well, my favorite Wasp album is Kill, Fuck, Die. <laughs> and that one came out is the ninth album, I think, and something in the 2000s. That's where they went a bit industrial, right? And he went a bit industrial in that album, yeah. And it's really, it's um, it, it it's like his voice fits that that sound. So he's changed seven. It's the seventh studio album. It came out in '97. Oh wow. Um, but after this, he stuck with that idea because he did still not black enough. 
And uh, did he do taking over the world? Um, something over the world after this? Uh, uh, not sure. I remember. Give me a second. Oh, he still he did still not black enough, and then he did kill fuck die, and then he did double live assassins. Dying for the world is what you're thinking. Dying for the world is the one that was literally his solo album. Like that it was still went him. under the name Wasp. It, yeah, he never did any any solo albums per se. But it's, it's funny that they brand him like that. Yeah. Oh no, he did Hell Dorado, Hell Dorado, and then which was a complete uh, disappointment. And then the Sting tour. That's when I saw them. And then on Holy Terror, Jesus Christ. And then after Unholy Terror, that's when he did Dying for the World. But yeah, so he kept kept it going for a while. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned um, Kill, Fuck, Die. That was when Chris Rhodes came back to the band. And I was reading an interview with him a few days ago where he was talking about how much of a mistake that album was like <laughs> um chris rhodes apparently kind of an interview he's like well someone else showed up on the scene by the name of marilyn manson and blackie couldn't bear the spotlight to be on someone else marilyn manson had wasp play at, a, at a, one of his birthday parties really yeah i mean that makes sense i mean it's all you know the kind of shock rock scene yeah maybe they wouldn't the... share drugs yeah, well, they don't like the drugs, but the drugs like them. And then later on, he did um, the Neon God Part One and Two, and then that's another rock opera. I couldn't get into that one. I had them both. I I couldn't. But maybe we can we can give it a listen. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> don't be all excited about this. So much other good. Okay. The what? I said there's so much other good stuff out there I want to do before we come back to Wasp. But come on, he's got the songs on the album narrate the story of an abused and orphaned boy named Jesse who finds that he has the ability to read and manipulate people. Cool. So what? Well, we're a... <laughs> I'm going to take that as a no. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I like Kill Fuck That a lot. <laughs> When I bought that album, it blew my goddamn mind. I was like, oh, we're going to hit it too. I'm a wild child. Kill, fuck, die! It's like, oh my god, what's going on? (laughs) Crimson Idol, is it a winner? Oh, it's a winner. Keep coming back to it after this. It's a winner. Um, it's the. I remember now the reason. Because when you said the Crimson Idol was the best album of 1992, I was like, why isn't the Crimson Idol my favorite album of 92? Fuck you, Trouble. You're not as good as Crimson Idol. And I went and listened to it. And as I'm listening to the album, I was like, ah, that's why it wasn't. Because it's a great album. It has so many things against it in my book that it, that it jumps through and over. But I don't like rock operas very much. I don't like repetition a lot. And um, I feel like he treated the the people like idiots and spoon-fed them a lot of information by repeating a lot. And that's fine 
first few times, but you know, whatever. That's the reason it's not on my top. But it's a fantastic album, probably the best album that Wasp has ever written. Uh, even though I, I, I much prefer Kill Fuck Die, I feel like Kill Fuck Die goes down in the middle, and this one fights going down in the middle. Like they, uh, the wave is going, and they're like just fighting it. Like nope, nope, nope. Awesome, 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 awesome. And uh, it's a fantastic album. It's definitely a worthy best album of 1992. Excellent. Um, I really enjoyed the album. You know, I'm not super into the Wasp cat, uh, catalog, um, but I know of them and have heard many things. But uh, this was definitely an album where I decided that you know what, I'm going to listen to more Wasp. I'm going to go check it out. Because I'm this... a wild child. <laughs> I mean, because I know, I mean, you know, the, you know, all those great old 80s ones I'm more familiar with. But after this, I couldn't tell you one thing. So, I mean, granted, I didn't even know this existed in, in the first place. So, uh, can for I, me... Can I give you a, a recommendation? Yeah, go ahead. Do Double Live Assassins. Okay. It's a live album and it has pretty much everything they've done and from this album back and mm-hmm. a little you know and other things, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, listen to that and from there you can start um, pinpointing albums because it, it's it's a lot of music for you to jump into. And I, I am scared you're gonna jump into something and be like, "Oh, this is shit. I'm done." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I at least give it a playthrough before I'm like, "Okay, moving on." <laughs> yes. I try. I try to be extremely objective when I listen to these things, especially when they're new. Yeah. Because I, I yeah. know, I know initially, I'm pretty much gonna start off offended, and yeah. I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have to be open-minded. I mean, but that's my thing is you know one of my problems when i was a younger kid the reason why i didn't listen to a lot of this stuff is because i couldn't stand the vocals i didn't like the vocal styling it was either too much screaming or it was high pitched so i went down the death metal route with vocals that were extremely low growls and i really didn't care for lyrics so i didn't care what the hell they were necessarily saying in whatever the songs it was all about the music the rhythm and just the sheer brutality of it and then it was trying to listen to stuff like this to my ears was very um it was almost like you know watching something pg versus an r-rated movie Ugh. where it was kind of yeah exactly where it was like you listen to it at first you're like what in the oh my god it's bubblegum crap <laughs> but 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 now but now I've been able to discern that a little bit better and open up my mind a little bit differently for different tastes of things and not have to have that same stigma you know like everything's got to be brutal everything's got to be low everything's got to be this you know I want to listen to it I want to hear what the artist has to say I want to be objective to what they you know put out there on their albums and so on and so forth so I try to give an objective listen before I'm like, yeah, no, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I yeah. tried, man, but I can't. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm really I'm really horrible with uh, things like, um, what do they call musicals? Um, I, there are certain ones that I really dig, but am I a fan of all musicals? Absolutely not. 
I know, but there are some that I've listened to and I'm like, I can deal with that one. You know, like that one for some reason appeases to me, but you know, was it the music man? I like that one, but Oklahoma, no, thanks. Kill me twice. You know, right. So, you know, there are variations. So I tried to at least approach it, listen to it before I'm like, no, that's not for me. So I, I really dug this album. I mean, this was something that kind of, um, it kept the theme. It kept kind of rolling through everything. So I don't know. It it grew on me after you know. But I like I said, the initial time I listened to it, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't very sure how I was gonna you know <laughs> how I was gonna feel about it. You yeah. know, it's kind of going track by track, and I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. And then you know, <laughs> right? I mean, because that's that's your initial opinion of pretty much everything yep. for me. Is I'm about to shit all over it, um, but I I listened to it and then I listened to it again and then I listened to different specific things and certain things popped out to me that actually made it really a really great album. And even this morning, when I was like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this one last time before we talk about it today, I was sitting there, you know, half asleep at eight o'clock this morning with headphones and my phone in my hand and starting out with a titanic overture and being like ah oh, this is really good you know this i really i really you know like it it builds and walking around the house listening to everything you know while we're cooking breakfast and all that kind of stuff you know it's like okay you know like it's it's got a good theme it's consistent i'm enjoying this a lot so was it's also like paul i i, I know when we tried to record last and Raji was dealing with his audio issues you had your your guitar out and you were strumming along with some of the risks from this, the particularly that repeated kind of acoustic refrain. So mm. like, I, I feel like this very obviously got inside your head. Right. Exactly. And, and that was kind of, like I was saying, it's something that caught my attention. It wasn't like, okay, I've heard this before. There's nothing spectacular about that, but no, there was those moments where it kind of leaves you. Hey, what's you're kind of hanging. You're like, wait a minute. You know, you got just enough kind of dissonance or something to set it off to be like, wait a minute, where's the resolution? Wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa. Okay, and then we go pow right back into something next, and then uh, and then we bring it back down, and then we still end with no resolution, and it just kind of keeps kind of hooking you in track after track to where you're trying to wait, you know, trying to listen through the story and so on, you know, so on and so forth to the end where it ends and he dies and so on and you know that uh and you're just like wow okay i get it you know and it and it kind of just it, like you're saying it got inside my head and i think that's what's key about um music for album. everybody yeah. good yeah. album it's one that you can get you know stuck in your head and i'm that, gonna head out right now and sing murders in the new morgue for the rest of the day right see i was the saying like i don't want to be the crimson idol mm. that's why i kept repeating it in the text because every time we think about, the, every time we th talk about the uh, the album, that's exactly what pops in the head. I don't want to be, I don't want to be. You know, it just it gets stuck in there. So I have to give it to him that this is this is superb. All right, Anthony, take it Excellent. home, senor. All right, so I'm glad everyone listened to this and that you both enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad that Paul, you've uh, 
picked up on something new. And for mm-hmm. me, this is... I remembered why I loved this so much, uh, you know, years ago. Uh, it really is something that I think is a classic and deserves to be more highly regarded and remembered in the metal community. So I'm it glad we did loved. this. Should be loved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're probably the only podcast out there that would bring in a bit of Bob Marley into a <laughs> podcast about what. <laughs> All right. So with that, we will be back next time round when we will be discussing Radu. What is your choice? Oh, we will be doing Troubles, Manic Frustration. Yeah, so join us for that. Um, yes. It'll be my first time listening to it. I've literally never heard that album before. Sweet. So I'm excited. So you're going to wipe your ass with it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I haven't either. Um, so I'm going to be in the same yeah. boat, Anthony. Sweet. I'm looking forward to it, though. So you guys know, listening out there, this is going to be a long episode. Because right now, as Mark is clocking in at 1.45, and I'm not going to make it a two-parter. So get ready for lots awesome. of listening. <laughs> All right. Probably not a lot of music. <laughs> and uh, with that, tune in next time. We have been Sweet Rodu's Musically Inclined. Um, thank you and have a good one. Adios. See ya. Hey, have you heard the news? We have a brand new email. So now you can get in touch with us at Radu's musically inclined at gmail.com yes that includes chad and joe and the guys from volbeat just send all your hate mail there so anyway send your hate mail to radus musically inclined at gmail.com everybody else just send us your love at radus musically inclined at gmail.com because we love you except you joe we don't like you joe